0: If you would, open up with me to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Last week, Albert began a new series called Brothers and Sisters in Christ, in Christ for one another. And he started with really the fountainhead of passages that speak to loving one another. John chapter 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet and says, As I have loved you, so you love one another. This is the root of community. This is the foundation of the church. That United to Jesus, we are united to one another. And so for the next few weeks, we are going to consider texts that use this word. It's one word in the text, one another, So today, we're in Romans chapter 12. Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is a thorough and passionate reminder of the righteousness of God. And since we're kind of parachuting into the middle of the letter, into the middle of the book, um, it's important for us to see how we got here and where Paul is going with the letter. He begins with our need for righteousness, right? Our need for the gospel. He moves to God's gift of righteousness to us in Jesus, He then speaks to challenges against the righteousness of God and challenges um, against the gospel. And then in chapter 12, he transitions to speak to the Romans. He's likely writing from Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he's writing to the, the the Christians and the churches in Rome about living out the implications of the gospel. So chapters 12 through 16 have to do with what does it mean to walk in this new life we've been given individually, How do we live that life together, corporately, as the body of Christ? How do we live together? How do we love one another? And one particular way that we see this happen is through showing honor. Through showing honor, outdoing one another, and showing honor. Uh, Last week, we put pictures of some of you that you sent in um, in the pews so that as we preach this series, we can actually look out and see your faces. But I kind of feel like for this sermon, I should have printed out a giant picture of myself and put it just right underneath that camera. Um, Because today, I'm literally preaching to myself. Thanks for the few guys who have stayed behind in here. But I'm also figuratively preaching to myself on this one. I'll be completely honest with you. This text tore me apart this week uh, in a good way. But it's my hope that God would then use that to put us all back together, to put us all back together. So if you would, let's bow our heads and our hearts, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know my inadequacies, you know my failures, and you know my heartbreaks, and you love me just the same. Thank you that that is true of everyone who can hear my voice today. I pray, Lord, that you would speak powerfully, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and even my heart Lord, even as our hearts and even our houses right now might be full of distractions, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight and in yours alone. We love you. We need your word. Thank you for giving it to us. And it's in your precious name that I pray, amen. This is Romans chapter 12, starting in verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Years ago, comedian Brian Regan said, beware of the me monster. Beware of the me monster. What he's talking about is this part of us that wants to be seen, heard, respected, valued over and above the people around us. And he tells the unfortunate situation of trying to tell a story of having two wisdom teeth removed because if you tell a story about having two wisdom teeth removed, there's somebody in the room who's going to tell you about having nine wisdom teeth removed and how they were eating corn on the cob just the next hour afterwards. He says, Why do we we feel the need to top one another? Why do we feel the need to outdo one another? This text before us actually tells us to outdo one another, but not in impressing each other and showing honor. There's a me monster in all of us, and whether it's loud and aggressive or whether it's quiet and seething, there's an impulse to bring honor to ourselves. There's an impulse in us to bring honor to ourselves, and often this is at the expense of others, whether it's in thought, word, or deed. What this me monster does in us is it takes the good desire— and the need to be seen, to be heard, to be valued, and it morphs it into a relentless need to be seen more than others, to be heard above others, and to be valued more than others. The Bible's name for this, me-monster, is pride, conceit, haughtiness, being wise in our own eyes. But what we'll see today is that the antidote to this poison of pride, which is really a superiority, a feeling of superiority over others that will lead to contempt and will lead to seeking vengeance, the antidote to this pride is the love of God manifested in honor. The love of God manifested in honor. Now, this is a beautiful and rich text. Honestly, a sermon could be preached on each and every line. So it's going to have to suffice for us to focus today on the reality that the love of Jesus shapes how we honor, who we honor, and why we honor. The love of Jesus shapes who we honor, how we honor, and why we honor. And my hope is that as we see the love and honor that Jesus shows us, that we would turn and outdo one another in showing honor. So first, the love of Jesus shapes how we honor. We see this in verses 9 through 13. So look with me um, at home at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let and be there are implied. This serves as a heading. It, It says genuine love, sincere love. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This word genuine or sincere, the sense here is that it's without a mask. had to do with theater, without a mask, without pretense, without acting. Genuine love is love that is without hypocrisy, without a stage. Love that is the same to someone's face as it is behind their back. It's love that is consistent. And when Paul says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, he's not talking generally moral good and the evil, he's still talking relationally. He's still talking relationally. So, love then hates what hurts others, what injures others, and genuine love clings to what is good for others or what shows kindness to others. Now, why in this part of his letter would Paul begin to urge us and encourage us to love one another? When you get a chance, I encourage you to read the entire chapter of Romans 12, and one thing that you'll see is this, that it follows immediately a text on gifts, spiritual gifts, and diversity in the life of the church. This discussion on love immediately follows a discussion on spiritual gifts and diversity. And this is not accidental. This is a pattern that Paul uses elsewhere. in one of the most famous passages on love in all the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. We're familiar with that passage, but if you back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what is it? It's a discussion on spiritual gifts and diversity in the life of the church. Could it be that Paul follows discussions on gifts and diversity with love because there is an enormous temptation for us to exalt our own gifts, our own passions, our own interests, and our own convictions? over and above others in the body of Christ. What better breeding ground for this me monster of pride than when our good desires, even for the church, conflict with one another? We've said this before, but it bears repeating. Unity in Scripture does not equal uniformity. Unity is not uniformity, and insisting on uniformity yields pride in my own heart and in all of our hearts. But what Paul unpacks for us here is that love is the better way. Love is the better way. And what better antidote to this pride and the shame that fuels it is honor. So look with me at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Here Paul links love and honor. And honor as a manifestation of love. And he says, outdo one another, show one another up. And the word, the sense there has to do with leading the way. Go before one another in showing honor. If you're going to compete in any way with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, do so in showing honor to one another. And this word honor, as he uses it here, is elsewhere translated differently as price or value. Someone's worth, showing worth to someone else honor is is essentially an elevation. It's giving someone rights, respect, and privileges for who we see them to be. And so, the two questions of honor here in verse 10 are this, what is a person worth, and will I show honor first, or I will wait until they're worthy, or until they show me honor? What is a person worth, and will I wait until I am shown honor or until they prove themselves worthy. The sense here is that we are not to wait for others to value us, but that we are to initiate. So if the link here between love and honor isn't clear um, quite yet, think about it this way. In Mark chapter 12, um, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And you'll remember he answers from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And these two greatest commandments reflect the two tables of the law. If the first four of the 10 commandments have to do with loving God, the last six have to do with loving our neighbor, loving one another. And so the first of the last six Ten Commandments, Commandment number five. Do you know what? Do you remember what Commandment number five is? Now your kids may remember. Um, in our children's ministries here, we have hand motions that help us remember. So everybody hold up five fingers, put them in a salute. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. So the first example and command of loving our neighbor is honor. So surely love reflects a deep respect. Love is deeply connected to respect and value and truly listening to someone in honor. And as Christians, we are called to honor and value each other, not just those in authority, not just those who are impressive, not just those who work the hardest. We are called to honor those who it seems can do us no good we are called to honor those who would otherwise be invisible. Consider 1 Corinthians 12, this parallel passage. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body, we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor Friends, the body of Christ is built and grows in such a way that the voiceless have a voice and that those who seem, and that word seem is very important and Paul uses it there, those who seem weak are empowered. The point here is that honor is not earned or deserved. Honor is not something that someone can earn or deserve. And Paul shows us in this text that simple acts of love and honor directed at one another are ultimately directed at God. Look with me at verses 11 through 13. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Friends, in love, we resist the slow pull towards apathy and complacency in loving God and one another. We resist that slow pull, that gravity towards apathy and complacency. And so the fervency and service we see in verse 11, the joy, hope, patience, and prayer we see in verse 12, and the generosity and hospitality we see in verse 13 are all means by which the Holy Spirit fans into flame our love for God and our love for one another. These are means that grow us in love for God and for one another. Friends, it's what we actually do, not what we say we love, but what's actually unpacked in the way we live our lives that develops in us love and devotion. Call it habit, call it ritual, call it liturgy. These things simultaneously reveal where our hearts actually are what we actually love, who we actually love, but they also form our hearts into what they will be. I was talking with a friend here at Redeemer the other day, and he told me to my shock and surprise that he was growing to enjoy waking up at 4 a.m. And I asked him more, why during quarantine would you wake up at 4 a.m.? His job requires the same number of hours that he would have put in at the office And by waking up at 4 a.m., he has lots of uninterrupted time to get his work done before his family even wakes up. And then, when his family's awake during the day, he can enjoy time with them. He didn't naturally love waking up before dawn, but it was worth it because it revealed what he truly loves. And what he truly loves shapes the way he forms his life, his disciplines it became a rhythm it became a value friends love and honor take practice i have to admit if i never did anything i didn't want to do i wouldn't do much good either for definitely not for anyone else but i don't think ultimately even for myself look again at verse 13 contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality love and honor prioritizes the needs of one another Nothing brings me more joy than seeing you as the body of Christ provide food, clothing, shelter, help, and care for one another and for our community. And when you open up your hearts and open up your homes in hospitality, and nothing makes me long more for us to be together and connected again than those things that happen in the life of the church. So Redeemer, this fervency, service, joy, hope, patience, prayer, generosity, hospitality, these are love and honor in action. And I wish we could spend more time on each and every one of these. There's a lot of info here. And the reason there's so much here is because the love we show one another reflects the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of Jesus. love of Jesus. So we've seen how love shapes how we honor. Let's turn and consider how love shapes who we honor. Let We see this in verses 14 through 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What we see here are the different types of people that we love and honor. And then Paul elaborates in each case and shows us what that would actually look like. So, we love and honor those who persecute us. We see this in verse 14. We love and honor those who persecute us through blessing them and not Cursing them. We love and honor those who weep, in verse 15, by honoring their grief, by entering into their grief. Friends, love so associates with one another that another's sorrows become our own. Next, we love and honor those who rejoice by honoring their joy and entering into it and sharing it, not resenting or envying. Wanting their joy for ourselves. We love and honor those who are lowly and humble, verse 16, by entering their world to be near and like them, becoming humble, which was Christ's ultimate posture towards us. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, he became humble to the point of even death, becoming like us in his humanity. And then we love those, we love and honor those who do evil to us. In Verses 17 and 18, we see this. We do this by living in harmony and in peace, so far as it depends on us. And don't miss that tagline. So far as it depends on us. It is very hard for me to accept the fact that I cannot control or change another person or their response, or how they treat or think about me. Sometimes, friends, you will do everything you can, and the situation will not change. The relationship will still hurt, but you can take comfort that we can only control one side of this one another dynamic. And we can honor God by loving, even if we receive no love in return, by honoring even when we do not receive honor in return, and by bringing peace. By bringing peace. So in light of our focus on honor, let's camp out in verses 16 through 18 just a little bit longer. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Here, harmony is linked with the absence of pride, the absence of conceit. And the word harmony has to actually do with being of the same mind, which is another biblical category of unity that we hear a lot. It's, it, being of the same mind, living in harmony is having the same goal, the same ultimate interest, the same ultimate purpose. Like we said, unity does not equal uniformity. This is not agreeing on everything. and this is not having, this is, this is not a utopia where there's no healthy conflict. That would be a false peace. But notice what it does mean to be of the same mind. Repenting of haughty eyes, which is a posture of looking down on others. An entitlement to being a noble person and being around other noble people. A seeking after positions and recognition. Instead, we're reminded to associate with the lowly. And actually that can be translated not just associate with lowly people, but associate with lowly tasks. Not having to do the thing that brings us honor, but the invisible thing. Friends, ultimately this section reminds us that we are not to view ourselves as wise and with it at the expense of others. The heart of the matter here is that we cannot honor others when we're in a posture of honoring ourselves. We cannot honor others when we're in a posture of honoring ourselves. John Calvin, commenting on this text, says this, and this is your reading reflection quote in your bulletin. For there is no poison more effectual and alieni- alienating the minds of men than the thought that one is despised. For as there is nothing more opposed to brotherly concord than contempt, arising from haughtiness, when each one neglecting others, advances himself, so the best fomenter, that means agitator or instigator, so the best instigator of love is humility, when everyone honors others. Did you catch that? The biggest barrier to a loving community is the contempt that's born out of pride. The biggest barrier to loving community is the contempt for others that's born out of pride, and it's fascinating That scripture and theologian hundreds of years ago is saying the same thing that modern relationship researchers are saying, that nothing kills relationship quicker than contempt for one another, the rolling of the eyes, the disregard for one another's thoughts and feelings. When I was a summer camp director, we had about 70 college and high school students um, who would live together in close proximity for a whole summer, and so maintaining unity in that community was very, very important because when you're tired and exhausted and working hard and in close proximity, things happen. And one of the things we would always say is that the cheapest form of community is a common enemy. The cheapest form of community is a common enemy. What does that mean? You can gather quite a crowd by hating, by all hating the same thing, the same person, the same idea. But a unity that's formed around a mutual hate or a feeling of some type of moral or ethical or cultural superiority, theological se- superiority, a community formed that way will eat itself alive and hurt lots of people in the process. My pride seeks to uncover the shame of others to feel better about self, doesn't it? But honor thinks of others as covered in the blood of Jesus. Our pride seeks to uncover the shame of others to think of ourselves better. But honor seeks to cover others and see others as covered in the blood of of Jesus, remembering others in light of the grace and the righteousness that covers us now as a free gift. Proverbs 29 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 3 Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Friends, sometimes honoring one another will be viewing them the way Jesus does. Declared righteousness, declared righteous. Despite what has been said, thought, or done, declared righteous. We cannot judge one another's salvation, or their repentance. If they profess and they confess, we treat them the same way that Christ treats them, with honor. So, we've seen how love shapes how we honor. We've seen how love shapes who we honor, that is, everyone except ourselves. But this is not to say that we don't have a genuine need for honor, and this is not to say that we don't have honor With this in mind, let's turn to consider how the love of Jesus shapes why we honor. Look with me at verses 19 through 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Another thing that's very hard for me to admit is that it is neither my job nor my right to execute justice or to seek revenge for the hurts done against me. Paul reminds us using uh, the, the words of the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, he reminds us, that vengeance, revenge, justice on evil is God's prerogative. Divine justice is and will be executed, but we cannot put ourselves into the seat of the judge. In humility, we have to honor God as the judge and not seek to take his place by seeking revenge. How tempting it is to play God and decide who deserves wrath Who deserves justice and who doesn't? But what do we do in light of the evils and the hurts done against us? What do we do in light of the cosmic evil and injustice done in our world? All we know from verses 19 through 21 is that our response to hate must be love. Our response to evil must be love. Paul here also references Proverbs 25 when he speaks of heaping burning coals onto your enemy's head by being kind to them. And he urges us not to seek personal vengeance, but to actively seek the good of our enemies. Revenge wants you to hurt the way that you've hurt me. Revenge wants our enemy to hurt the way that we feel hurt. And it feels like, it it seems like there would be closure. It seems like it would bring catharsis, but revenge cannot heal. Revenge cannot heal. Now, this is not saying that in light of personal or even cosmic hurt and evil and injustice that we do nothing. This is not saying that we allow evil to continue or remain complicit in it. There is a time to stand up and to speak up for yourself and for others. What this speaks to, so much more could be said in this topic, but what this speaks to in this text is that love is the most effective means of stopping hate. Love is the most effective means of stopping hate. Good, the most effective means of stopping evil. Imagine being in a city and you're under siege and an attacking army is coming and you're standing on the wall of your city and you pour burning coals on top of your enemy's head. It's likely that that will stop them. In the same way, heaping honor and love on those who are even undeserving brings our only hope for stopping. What this is saying is that we cannot fight fire with fire. We cannot fight dishonor with more dishonor. We cannot fight hate with more hate. We cannot fight evil with more evil. Because, friends, one of two things will be poured onto us in light of the evil and the injustice and the sin and the pride of our own hearts. Either God's good justice, his righteous, justified anger against our sin will be poured onto our heads, or the love and the honor that was meant for Jesus will be poured over us in grace. And that is the only reason and the only way that we can leave wrath for God to deal with. Because shame was heaped on the only one who deserved honor. Shame was heaped on the head of Jesus when he was the one who deserved all honor. And so then for us, violence is not the answer the violence of our hearts or the violence of our fists, the violence of our gossip, the violence of our keyboards, the violence of our bitterness, the violence of our contempt that kills connection and relationship, and the violence of our own pride against our own souls. Why do we show honor? Not because we've been shown honor by other men and women. Not because we've been shown honor by other men and women, but because the honor of God was defended in the violence of the cross. The honor of God was defended in the violence of the cross. It was confirmed in the resurrection, and then it is given to us by faith. Faith in Christ alone. Confirmed and given as a free gift. The honor due, Jesus' name given to us. Friends, my own need for Christ's honor is revealed to me daily, to my shame, but also for and against my shame. My own need for Christ's honor is revealed when I secretly dismiss someone because of their actions or attitudes whether that's culturally, politically, or within the church, when I dismiss someone. My own need for Christ's honor is revealed when I fail to truly listen to my wife, when I exasperate my children in my anger. Friends, the justice that these sins deserve Report onto the head of the one who deserved honor from me. Christ died for my bitterness, my pride, my contempt, and my vengeance, and he was raised for my honor. Christ died for your bitterness, your pride, your contempt, your vengeance, and he was raised for your honor. Without this miracle, I would continue as a fragile man, unable to handle criticism, Another writer puts it this way, that's good old-fashioned defensiveness. It's pride. And one of the best antidotes to pride, of course, is love. Because love helps me to stop making everything about me. Love wants to know what the other person has been through. Love lives in an understanding way. Love is compassionate. Love keeps short accounts. Love covers a multitude of sins. Friends, in this freedom, it's time for us to start heaping love and honor on both the deserving and the undeserving, as people who are able to give what we have been given. In his 1963 book, Strength to Love, Dr. Martin Luther King echoes this passage beautifully when he says, "'Returning hate for hate multiplies hate.'" adding darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Friends, by responding to hate with love, by responding to contempt with honor, and by responding to our own pride with repentance, we display Christ to one another into a watching world. May God shine His light into our hearts and strengthen our hands to love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the honor you've bestowed on us. Your name is above every name, and we will all bow before Jesus one day, someday. So, Lord, I do pray that you would enable us to love one another with a genuine love. I pray for those people of Redeemer and anyone else who may be joining us right now. I pray that you would bless them right now, encourage them, save them, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts and in our lives. We love you, and it's in your precious name that I pray. Amen. Here now the Lord's benediction. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.